0: the College of Lore. I'm your host, Anthony. And I'm your co-host, Josh. Today, I want to talk about something very serious in the D&D community. Serious as in that it's part of the name, the title, Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons. Let's talk about dungeons. Josh, it's the main point of D&D. It's uh, an essential part. If you play Dungeons and Dragons and it's not a dungeon or a dragon, you must be playing Pathfinder.
1: Mm. I mean, Pathfinder is pretty cool.
0: They do have Dungeons and Dragons in Pathfinder as well.
1: They do. So... But hey, uh, tell us more about those dungeons that aren't in Pathfinder.
0: I mean, they are, but... Okay. but well, it's not in the name. <laughs> <laughs> not in the name. That's the important part. So what is a dungeon, right? You probably have some vague idea. It's got some skeletons and stuff. Like what's the first thing you think of when you think of a dungeon?
1: Skeletons, goblins, dolls.
0: Yeah. There's like stuff in there that you want to get. Treasure? For sure
1: brick walls rats
0: definitely so a lot of that comes from history so like a dungeon is a real word in the english language and a dungeon is used to hold prisoners uh typically in the renaissance period so you we get a lot of crosstalk between D D and like fantasy and medieval type stuff but this is actually a little bit in the renaissance period because in the medieval period you know what they did with prisoners They just whacked them. You know, they just... That's it. They didn't really have a use for keeping prisoners in that period of time. They would just kill people they didn't like. So there are some, you know, small instances of dungeons being used at that time. But most of the ones that we find, you know, beneath churches, crypts, things that are still in today's day and age that people go visit as tourists, they're from that Renaissance period in time. So, like, some within the medieval period of time i think scotland had a few but not so many not so much for the other countries uh they would just tax her axe basically when it comes so to what, what
1: exactly like is a dungeon then in that context if if dungeons weren't necessarily needed and they're usually uh, actual dungeons that are like maze like like in D, are found under like crypts and stuff Are those actually dungeons or what what is actually a dungeon?
0: Those would probably be a little bit closer to a labyrinth. So something that's underneath a, that's maze-like, definitely more of a labyrinth. But something below a tower with an entryway at the top is called like an oubliette.
1: So it should be called Labyrinths and Dragons is what we should actually call this.
0: Labyrinths and Dragons is a great title. (laughs) It
1: rolls right off the tongue.
0: It's close. I think they scratched that one Probably. in uh, production. They had that written on the whiteboard or chalkboard back then, and then they just crossed I'm it I'll start
1: my own tabletop called Labyrinth. And Labyrinth. Drinks. <laughs> I'd buy it. <laughs> you and that's it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, oubliette, that's obviously a French word. It's a tall structure with a door on top that prisoners or grain probably is lowered into and then raised by a rope or lift ladder. So, oubliette is a type of dungeon. A labyrinth that you mentioned is a maze-like structure. So, there's a difference between a maze and a labyrinth, right? You know the difference.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, the context of Dungeons & Dragons, like fantasy dungeons, it's kind of an all-encompassing term. It's not exactly historically pinpointed.
0: Right, right. So, you know, a classic dungeon is an underground prison beneath a castle that holds prisoners. If you've ever seen any movie, usually there's a prison with, that's underneath a castle in, in like that, like, you think the word dungeon, that's like the first thing that pops into my mind is like a 16th, 17th century prison that people are kind of left in. Yeah.
1: Well what about uh Dungeons and Dragons dungeons? So what what do we use those for in our games? Like what makes them interesting? I mean it's a crucial part of Tabletop, obviously. It's in the name. So what's up with that? That's a great question.
0: What is up with that? Uh most of D D started out as dungeon crawls. When you look back at like the ancient as I say now, D D, no offense to any, any people who've played D. But in in the seventies most D D was a dungeon crawl. It was your dudes and it was a fight against other dudes to get through a dungeon. So in D&D now what they're used for or like things that people use dungeons for is a challenge for your players. It's a way to give them a reward for something greater. You can have a plot point you have to get to the dungeon and get an item out of a dungeon is usually the number one uh the number one way I've seen dungeons used. I've also seen dungeons as like Okay, in order to defeat the big bad evil guy, we need to go into the dungeon and get a weapon, an ancient weapon of great power out of there. That's, I mean, when we played in your campaign, that's one of the things that was inside one of those dungeons was weapons of great power and an ancient evil god.
1: He could have been nice. You don't know.
0: As far as I know. Yeah. (laughs) Most good gods don't make you go insane.
1: That's fair. That's that's a fair point. I think dungeons are a really good way of giving yourself... Uh, more control as well because they're typically or almost always if you want to count them as a dungeon indoors uh, so it's less yeah. variation and less variables to deal with as opposed to like chasing a thief down a city there's a lot of things that can go wrong or right but in a dungeon you got walls it's, they're probably made of stone there are things in that room and from that you can sort of gauge what's going on so it's easier to control the pace of the encounter and it also, uh, you have more control over like the theme of what is happening in that dungeon.
0: That's true. Most dungeons, you're not going to freestyle. You're going to write out ahead of time. You're going to know it front and back. You're going to know where the enemies spawn. You're going to know where the loot is. You're going to know where the traps are. And the theme, like you said, is very important. So there's multiple types of dungeons that exist. Uh, someone once told me that anything is a dungeon. And I think, like, for the theme, when you're creating, like, an underground lair, okay, you have certain types of themes that go along with it. Who built the dungeon? That might help you clarify what your theme is when you're thinking about it. Where, you know, who is it either employed or who built the dungeon? If it was, if it was built by, like, a lich or something, they might have undead skeletons roaming around that are protecting it. If it is a cavern in the ground that's dug out by a bunch of goblins, then there's going to be goblins all around. There's a ton of other examples for different types of dungeons and different types of themes. What's one way you would make a dungeon? What type of themes would
1: you use? Well, generally, my process for making dungeons is, like you said, come up with a purpose. I try to decide whether that dungeon is active or inactive, and then I sort of space things out by levels of importance. Obviously, the point of a dungeon is generally to get from point A to point B, B being the object or the boss or that endpoint it's a very good way to give players concrete goals especially with this day and age of DD where everything is sort of in a grayer area there's morals the goals are always long term sometimes you don't know whether to go to this point or that point this city or that city but it's like if you're in a dungeon you know what you're supposed to do there isn't really a thinking of well why am i here because you don't just accidentally stumble into a dungeon without purpose most of the time. So it gives good reason to give the players an exact concrete purpose as opposed to a more quote-unquote lofty purpose. And I think that's a really powerful tool that you can use. But when it comes to dungeons, generally I'll try and start at the beginning, design the end, and then work my way into the middle and see how that works. I don't particularly put a lot of weight on the design of the dungeon itself as in like the map like where the rooms connect and how they loop around okay in some cases that might be important i think that matters to the less cave like the dungeon becomes for instance if you're in a church the design of it might inherently be important because churches tend to, to follow some sort of like uh, architecture that is religious like symmetry, asymmetry spacing stuff like that but if it's like a standard okay. cave dungeon, that's not super important. So that can be designed last, because the location of the rooms can always be moved around. The rooms themselves are what matter.
0: Right, a cave has little hidey holes that can go anywhere, whereas like a a strict cathedral built on top of a dungeon, or, or a prison, or yeah, a crypt. Yeah, a crypt or a tomb uh, could also be a type of dungeon, um, and you'd have to design that differently, or, or you might want to design it differently if you're looking for a theme. Um basically open up the monster manual look at any creature subtype and that's what you could fill a dungeon with uh, a lot of the the historical <laughs> games when I was looking at them didn't really do that so much uh one of the the most when I looked up like famous dungeons I looked up famous historical dungeons in D&D. I got the the temple of Elemental evil which was supposed to be like, Everyone touted it as, the, this is what you should do- design your dungeon off of. And it was interesting, it had um, elements. So it had like a subfloor and then rooms below. So like the first subfloor was air and then water and then earth and then fire at the bottom. So you see that a lot, sure. But one of the things I didn't get when I like printed out the PDF and I read everything about what that temple was or what that tomb was, Temple of Elemental Evil, they had werewolves. Just like... On floor three for no reason. Just hanging out. How did those werewolves get there? Uh how did they how were they fed? There's no moon underground, so how did they transform?
1: Yeah, it's weird. Well, a lot of older dungeons, like you said though, weren't narrative based. As opposed to today's DD where everything is super narrative. Oh, for sure. Because back then it was just dungeon crawl, dungeon crawl, dungeon crawl. Get the super awesome sword, leave. Right. And now it's like, well, this dungeon is telling you a story. Because people are more invested in the roleplay side of their characters as opposed to how they were when it was just like hack and slash, I guess you could say it was more centered around. So, yeah, I guess that's where the difference comes from. Basic old
0: D&D was modeled after Wargaming, so it started with the challenge of that and then delved into story as we got further into it. But, yeah, I mean, temples and dungeons in this case are a great way to show the storytelling some of the temples that you had in your game, where one of my characters went through and pulled out shiny gold set of armor from his god, I mean, that was an incredible, awesome temple to show skill. So they don't always have to be created by something evil. This one was created by something good, and it was a challenge of faith. It was pretty awesome.
1: Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that a lot. Um, but yeah, the outside of the, the temple itself, though, or the dungeon, rather, because dungeons are... People like to think of dungeons as their own thing, mm-hmm. you know? There is... The, the campaign in the world, and then there's the dungeon. But dungeons sort of uh, are a concrete way of looking at the rest of your world. They help immerse your characters in something. If a lich designed this dungeon, he clearly put a lot of thought into it. Right. You know, it's a glimpse into his mind, in a way. So it, it, that, in return, can help strengthen the immersion that your characters feel. So it's important to think carefully about the dungeon and not just use it as a meat grinder for experience. I think a lot of newer DMs do that they see dungeons as an easy opportunity to just throw a bunch of things at their characters to level them up and give them loot. Right. When it's it, you could do that, if that's what your characters are, or your players are into, but it could be used for a lot more.
0: For sure, yeah. And when you're talking about the level design, if I could give one a bit of advice, and I think we'll do that a lot as we talk about more stuff in this, is, you know, don't just throw stuff at them, but there's kind of like a power creep through the dungeon level. So you start out and... It's easy to get in the first 10 feet, and then the next 10 feet is harder, and then the next floor is even harder. And then you get to that point where you want to get that powerful legendary armor, and it's guarded by, you know, the boss of the level. So when we're thinking about level design for these dungeons, I go back to video games, because that's what I started out with first. And one thing that's interesting with unique level design, when I think of dungeons and areas that you're kind of locked in... I'm playing a lot of Doom recently. Doom Eternal just came out. I couldn't afford it. So I got Doom 2016 and I started playing through that and it's a really interesting level design. So even back to original Doom, like there were teleporters, there's that power creep that I'm talking about. You start out with the little monsters, you learn how to play the game and then as you go through the the game and you get to like the midpoint of the game the creatures start getting a lot more different the demons get incredibly hard to kill there's power-ups there's health stations there's secret tunnels if you took everything from doom and ripped it out and put it into a dungeon crawl i wouldn't mind i would think you've done great
1: yeah Uh, on the on the flip side as opposed to like the slow power creep you can also hit your players with like the most strong creature and then like have that creature disappear or like uh, or go away or just give them some foreshadowing of what's to look forward to in that dungeon build some atmosphere. What I like to do often in my stuff is I'll hit you with the strongest thing in the beginning and then have that strongest thing like leave. <laughs> you know, like oh, let's say it busts through a wall, it doesn't notice you and keeps going. And now you're like, well, shit. <laughs> I sure hope that now doesn't we come know back what around. What to look forward to <laughs> in the dungeon so we know what we're experiencing so you get that sense of danger and anxiety, but it's not there yet. You have to work towards it, but it's you know that's it true. exists. So you can create a lot of depth with your dungeons like that. But yes, also like um like you said, Tony, with the the difference between unlocking different levels and teleports and stuff, it's a really interesting way to give your players like some sense of mobility and freedom within the dungeon, uh, without overloading them on like oh you went the wrong room. Now there's something that's way too strong all of a sudden. Right. Also, don't just do
0: like a two D level design. So it's very easy to do that. It's like, okay, here's a giant square, that's level one, it has a maze, and then here's the stairs to level two. That's one way you could do it. Another way you could do it is have a lot of ups and downs within that same level that they have to climb, jump, and get to. That's one thing that 3D video games do a lot that I don't see a lot in regular dungeons because it's just so easy to say, okay, you're curling around this maze and then here's level two. So one thing you could do is definitely have ups and downs in terms of level design. And then what you said about having something appear, I was reading a story on Reddit about a golem that had basically a cannon strapped onto it its arm, and as it chased the players, it had really bad aim, so it would blow up holes in the wall, and the, the DM would go and he'd move these uh, pieces of construction paper out of the way and change the level of his dungeon as the golem chased his players through the maze.
1: That's really cool. Yeah. So that's That's actually pretty neat. Never heard of that before, but... That's insane. Yeah. Speaking of like 3D levels, you can control the environment, you control the encounter. So don't make them just fight things on flat ground. You know, add pits, add steeps and slopes, add weird mountain things and like pillars that fall. Like, I find that it's very interesting to change the map upon your players mid-fight, like you said with the golem. Mm -hmm. It gives them a sense of like immersion into the dungeon itself rather than you're in a room. Fight these things. Okay. It helps give an extra depth to the quote-unquote strategy of the fight and the fact that, oh, the things you're doing in this room are affecting this room as opposed to when you leave this room, it's going to look exactly the same. And I think that's really good uh, for emerging your players.
0: Right. When it comes to immersion, everything kind of goes back to the theme and it should sort of be consistent, I, I would say, unless you have a reason for it not to be. One way that you could make your theme not consistent and explain it is... Okay, it was a dungeon, it was used for this purpose, but then a team of excavators went into this dungeon, tried to make it something else, and then failed. So you have a different type of technology or theme inside of another dungeon. And maybe the monsters inside the dungeon picked up some of the, the tools and equipment used by this mining company or something like that. But your, your theme should be consistent. So we've got monsters, we've got level design, we have to have traps. Indiana Jones... The, the ball rolling down the slope, that uh, spikes coming out of the ground. Those are the type of traps I think of. When, when I think of traps, I think of Indiana Jones. Uh, and he went through a lot of temples and dungeons.
1: Do you ever see traps... Um, well, I use them a lot, but do you ever see traps as uh a gotcha sort of thing like what makes a good trap versus a bad trap okay
0: so a bad trap is you're walking along the trap comes it's a spike in in the floor and it it hits you why did you put that trap there as a dungeon master okay i put that trap there to challenge my players or just delete their health a little bit so it's harder for them to fight the boss Okay, so you've got a couple options. If you are just trying to wear your players down, that's kind of one-sided. You, they don't really have a lot of involvement in that, and if they don't have a thief or a rogue, they're going to be kind of screwed when they get to the end, where whatever that is. So, have the traps be, you know, either, okay, this is a locked wall. If we open it, it's definitely going to kill us. To where they see it and they know about it, and they have some type of of way to to consider. Those traps I enjoy a lot. They slow down the pacing of the game, so be careful with that. Unless, one way you could do it is if you have a bunch of traps to where they're running from something, and they know the traps were already there, they got around them last time, but now, based on time, they can't easily, carefully walk their way around, and they have to sprint over it and make some type of check. That's very engaging. They saw it on the way up, but then on the way back, it becomes more of a challenge. How, how do you make your, your traps more engaging and, and less, ha, I am taking your health because I am running the game?
1: Um, what I like to do is, I do like to do the thing where you are aware of the trap, and doing X will activate Y potentially, so there's some risk versus reward. What I also like to do, a common tactic that people will see in my games, is I will present the trap to you activated in the beginning. Oh, look, Oh yeah! this room is trapped you were aware of that there are traps you don't know where they are right. but you've seen one one tactic that i did once was uh i believe it was a while ago in one of my campaigns where you were walking through the woods and there was like a trap that was shoddily made and already activated mm-hmm. and like in the dirt and like you're aware that it was a trap but that means that the forest was trapped so you're aware that wherever you go it's sort of dangerous so it gives you like a sense of foreshadowing right. for the future to come it makes you aware that the traps exist Uh, I'm sort of on the fence of whether to use really, really strong traps against parties without rogues. So I try to present traps that the players have a chance of spotting or dealing with. I think that it's kind of lazy for you to throw a trap at a a party that has no way of dealing with it. Because then, like you said, it becomes a, a health deleter. There's no interaction with the trap. It's just, you walk, you got shot, that sucks, now you have 12 HP less. There's nothing you can do about it. It's not fun. It's not thematic. And even if it does fit the theme of the dungeon, or if you're trying to make the the dungeon seem more dangerous, there are more efficient ways to accomplish that. Because no one's going to remember that trap. Right. It's just going to kind of be annoying.
0: So you said something that I really caught on to, which is the theme of the trap. So if you have a trap there, who placed it? Why did they place it there? Why is it in that exact location? Is it guarding something important? Should it be guarding something important? Are they magic or mechanical traps? You know, did the people who created this dungeon have access to that type of magic? And if so, what other magic things are there?
1: Yeah, for sure. Thematics of the trap, like you said, should match the rest of the dungeon. You can't just throw a bunch of random traps for no reason. I mean, you could, <laughs> but it would seem out of place, and most likely your players would notice. Things that you can do to like make quote-unquote thematic traps is for instance there's doors and in order to unlock that door you have to do a thing and you know what you have to do but if you don't do that thing because you're greedy or you're time constrained it'll activate a trap it makes it very obvious that you're going to activate the trap you don't know what the trap is but you know it's there and that means it also means that the thing that's under that door is being guarded so it sort of accomplishes everything and it doesn't even have to be like airtight thematic if you're in a dungeon you need to unlock a door there's a fire trap. Okay, sure. <laughs> no one's gonna think any more about it other than that. It's a, it, I mean, it fits what it's trying to accomplish. It doesn't need to be that precise, but the more precise it is, it helps. Yeah. So I'm also uh, wary on throwing too many traps. I think too many traps slows the pacing of the game. So there should be a healthy balance between uh, traps, monsters, and if your party feels it puzzles. Yeah,
0: <laughs> puzzles. Uh, puzzles in, in, in games are, are fun. Before we talk about puzzles, I, I do want to keep talking about pacing because we mentioned it before. And I think there's a right way to do pacing and traps. Timed traps are kind of like puzzles, all, all combined into one. So so let's think about that. Um, you have a, a locked room that's slowly filling up with sand, and it's causing the players to not be able to move quickly through the sand because they're sloshing through it. Or, or a, a room locked in it's filling up with water, or the, the classic, you've got the, the walls closing in, and you have to find the key and then unlock it in the same amount of time. So you can make it a puzzle where there's like a riddle on the wall that you have to solve before it closes in on your players. That's, you know, it was trapped. It's a puzzle. It's got good pacing with the time. Uh, some way to get everyone involved, I've noticed if your party is one that shuts down when you throw traps at them, you're gonna have two people, right? You're gonna have someone who just, like, shuts down, you're gonna have the guy who, like, starts hitting things, and then you're gonna have the people, like, actually just trying to solve the puzzle as quickly as possible, and, like, shouting out commands and stuff. So you have to know your party, for sure. And not everybody likes puzzles, it- some- some people do shut down, uh, when- their, their brain is, is challenged sometimes how do you how do you keep puzzles uh, in interactive and how do you make sure everyone is involved when you throw a puzzle trap at someone
1: So personally for me like you said it depends largely on the party <clears throat> for parties who want to just murder hobo things <laughs> and role play sometimes you should throw no puzzles at them every party is different it also depends on the puzzles Some parties like riddles I personally. Use riddles very sparingly, because puzzles seem too video gamey to okay. me. If you're in a dungeon and your room is filling with sand, why would there be a riddle to save you? It doesn't make only sense. The worthy, uh, only the worthy. That's personally me. Only the worthy may pass. Some people, some people like that. Yeah, in that case. But sometimes there's like tablets with like cryptic knowledge and hints that makes sense to have riddles. Um, but riddles, in my opinion, I I use very sparingly. What I do like using though, and what has always struck a chord with my party. I can't speak for everyone, but I feel like it is the best puzzle in my opinion is combat puzzles. Uh, combat puzzles are good pacing. Um, you have to deal right. with them and they're not slow when you don't figure them out. And what what I mean by combat puzzle is you have X creature that you have to defeat and there are is an X way to there's two ways to defeat them, one being the easy way, being the puzzle, and the second way being just hit it till it dies. No right. puzzle which is that hit it till it dies. (laughs) But if you can do the puzzle, like if you don't solve the puzzle, no harm, no foul, other than it was a little Mm -hmm. bit harder. And if you do solve the puzzle, it gives the party a sense of accomplishment without, and, and because of that, it doesn't stunt the game. A lot of people will design puzzles to block key areas of like a dungeon. And when the party can't solve it, now you're stuck for three hours.
0: Oh yeah, that's the worst. Oh God.
1: If you are a DM who likes actual puzzles and you want to put puzzles in your game and you're not sure, what I'll do is I'll put puzzles on side corridor for extra bonus loot right. or something, so that the players don't need to solve it and they can ignore it if they're not feeling it, and you can gauge whether your party is into or not. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's generally what I'll do. Uh, that that I use a lot of combat puzzles. I s- sort of use riddles, and then for other puzzles, like you got it, there's a chess game, and you got to put the square in the other square and if two horses are running it seems same be like, I don't I tend to ignore those mainly because I feel like those are delving into math and dragons as opposed to dungeons and dragons imagine though and what dungeon what dungeon designer would put a math puzzle in their dungeon filled with enchanted murder skeletons that's that's my view on it but combat and combat puzzles, man, that <laughs> slaps. All right, every time, combat puzzles—they're good. Use them. Combat puzzles are good.
0: I like—is that kind of like you have a big golem with a red gem in its back, and it's super hard to hit. Its AC is like thirty, and and you can't knock it down. But if you sneak around behind it and do something really dangerous, like crawl up the electrified back of the golem and pull out the ruby, then it shuts down. Type deal.
1: Yeah, something like that would be a thing. Or even, not even that specifically, but like, it's a dungeon, so you have a room. Maybe the monster's fighting you with a certain tactic. Let's say it's jumping from, there's a room full of paintings, and it's jumping from painting to painting, and it's hitting you, and you're, it has a high AC because you can't catch it because it's in the paintings. You can beat up the paintings. No, oh, right. You know, there you go. Cr- destroy the paintings, so it can't jump. That in itself would make the combat encounter easier. It might even kill the creature. It's up to DM discretion. But when the players f- figure it out, they just feel yeah, smart. Yeah, for sure and your players want to feel (laughs) smart
0: it it is a fantasy game it is a fantasy game i want to i want to be stronger than i am i want to be smarter than i am yeah for sure now i'm just thinking about would i have figured out to destroy the paintings or would i have done something stupid like just take them off the wall and turn them around probably like
1: no i mean you (laughs) know it's not a hard rule the dm makes it's like they know if you turn it around and the dm's like oh that works then it works you never know but either way, the, the player still feels good about it, and it, gets the, it accomplishes everything. And if they don't figure it out, they can still kill the monster. Yes. So you're not held back by the puzzle, but the puzzle offers you an opportunity to be cool. Which, let's be real, everyone just wants to be cool in this game.
0: Yes. Puzzles are two things. They're a way to tell your players that they can't just roll and proceed, which there's a lot of like, I walk up to an NPC, uh, I kill him, or he gives me a quest. Like, okay, next. Roll and proceed. Or the second thing I love about puzzles is they lead to memorable story points. No one really remembers the, the 10 goblins they fought unless it was you know somehow memorable. But they will remember like a monster that jumped from painting to painting. That's incredible. Really weird and interesting. And puzzles, when done correctly, a little tricky to manage, but they do lead to memorable story points. I think that's why people tend to put them in their game and everything always goes back to the story right so your dungeon should make sense why your party is going into the dungeon it has to come come back to the lore it has to come back to the story sometimes a random you meet a man in a bar and he's like hey you guys hear about that dungeon you should go and check it out (laughs) that's kind of (laughs) weak i'm gonna be real but you can do a lot of things with with the lore uh, of your game and the lore of the land and and the story, putting it all together. Uh, I've done both. I've I've told my party, "Hey, go to the dungeon, check it out. You should do it because that's what was written in front of me when I was running a pre-made adventure." But one time, I had this like power creep in my head about how D and D worked. I was running my first game. And uh, I had goblins who were a uh, goblinoid subrace, and they were kind of like enslaved, or kind of like uh, doing the bidding of hobgoblins, who were just also goblinoid subtype, but stronger. Um, so I-, I wanted a different way to ra- I wanted to run a dungeon, because i had never run one before, and I wanted to make it fast, because I felt dungeons were slow. So I looked at some optional rules for 5th edition, And I drew a map, and I had each section of the map in black instruction paper, because it was dark. And as my party went through the cave, I removed tiles. This was the slow part of the dungeon. Once they triggered a certain point within the dungeon, um, I think they broke stealth. So uh, the goblins had a system of alarms, which were basically just pots and pans that they all threw on the floor. And then other goblins threw pots and pans on the floor in separate locations, and they could see in the dark my party couldn't. Uh, which, in 5th edition, when you say, you walk into a dark room and everyone's like, I have dark vision, I have dark vision. Uh, and, like, okay, you walk into a gray room. <laughs> uh, too many, too many uh, races have dark vision nowadays. Man. Back in these my kids day, kids these days and dark vision. we took a torch.
1: Dark room meant torch. <laughs> Remember when the torches the to- were There's a torch
0: merchant somewhere in 5th edition just crying. The torch economy's gone to
1: <laughs> I'm going to make a torch merchant. That'd be a great NPC. He's mad.
0: <laughs> Quick, write it down. i write that down. So, right, they're in the dark room. Uh, there's a bunch of goblins that are throwing pans on the floor.
1: And all of a sudden, they're
0: running. But they're running in the dark, or they're running in the gray. But even in dark vision, has a certain cutoff. So they can't see to the end of the room. So to make it exciting, I said, all right, you're sprinting down. I need athletic checks from everyone to see who falls behind. Uh, It didn't stop the game, and I used the optional rules for skill challenges, and I just made it an interesting challenge. So cool thing about skill challenges, and you can run it however you want, but the basic idea is that you make everyone roll per room to advance. And if they roll well, they advance two blocks, if they roll poorly, they don't advance at all. If they roll somewhere in the middle of the road, averaged out as a group, they only advance one block. So you have some type of pacing and skill for when combat will happen. So you have a bunch of goblins very far away, slowly closing in on your party that can see and they know where the traps are so they don't have to make checks. So they always advance two blocks. So I have two blocks chasing one block to two block speed, depending. And the cool thing about it is as these traps were coming down and swinging at people, I just made up a different trap at every location that they were triggering. And then there was just a, you'd roll a skill check or cast a spell in order to destroy it. And they're running in the dark, so they don't know where the maze is leading them. So I'd remove a piece of construction paper every place that they were in and replace it every place that they had been. So they had to memorize where they were going, they didn't know if they were going the right way. There were a couple ways to get out of it. There were a couple of exits that I put in there because I'm like, they're going to get trapped and then all the goblins are going to come. They're going to die. So let me make a couple of exits here. And there really was no challenge except it was really fast paced. I put on some exciting music and it was just a memorable thing for me. And I, I hope for the players that-, that played in the game. But yeah, skill challenges for pacing. If you don't want to run a slow game make it a chasing inside of a dungeon who cares
1: or do both you know make it slow and fast variation helps uh helps make a dungeon more memorable Memorab- memorable that's
0: a word we talk for a living
1: memorable yeah, yeah. that's why mm-hmm. you don't just throw it only monsters that's why you variate it with traps puzzles and then in your case skill challenges throw everything at them yes
0: you know? <laughs> so. um for sure yeah you know like in a normal session you come up to a problem and you solve it with no time constraints if there's a trap or whatever you slowly figure out how to get around it but if you're just running then the traps are going to go off no matter what and they don't always have to be like okay you take five damage you take five damage you take ten damage um as you're as you're rolling for damage it could be uh, something a little bit more narrative didn't you have someone who lost a foot
1: yeah, I did. That <laughs> wasn't in a dungeon, though. That wasn't in a dungeon. I, I guess it was a dungeon because it was controlled, but it was in the woods. What are dungeons, nighttime. really? And uh, one of them decided to sleep alone in a, in a house that was partially collapsed. And it was in the middle of the woods. So there's these things that came out at night and would hunt for food. <laughs> and they tried to drag one of them off. She got dragged off. Uh, the party didn't find her until like four hours later and it had started eating her foot by then so Ah. she had to play the game without a foot (laughs) that sounds really fun Uh, (laughs) (laughs) for the dm maybe
0: maybe okay so there's really maybe only two more things to talk about. We could talk about every famous dungeon that's persevered through time, and we probably could give you all some dungeon tips, like just a summary of every dungeon tip. How are we doing on time? We're doing pretty good on time. Let's talk about one of these things, we'll take a break, and then we'll go ahead and talk about some some of those uh, famous tombs and dungeons from eons ago. So. Josh, if we were to go ahead and summarize everything we have said today, what type of tips would you go and give our audience of one?
1: Uh, when it comes to dungeons, definitely find a at least some semblance of a backstory for your dungeon. Make okay. sure it's thematic, mm-hmm. make sure it has depth, and make sure the encounters, whether it be traps, puzzles, and monsters, be interesting and sort of intertwined in yes. some sort of way don't make them separate entities. Make them as a co- cohesive whole. Right. That's, good.
0: That's pretty good That's advice. advice. And, you know, if you want to run a whole game with room after room encounters, then I got plans that night. I'm busy. I got to wash my hair. Um social distancing that day. D- room after room encounters are for a certain type of person that I am not. It could be a one uh, a fun way to test a new character, like if if I'm running a game and I have like some NPC that I want to do and I'm like, Josh, can you quick make me make me a dungeon, I wanna test this guy out really quick, see if he's overpowered or not. Room after room encounters are fine if you just want to do a one shot, something like that. But uh yeah, most most dungeons are are pretty interesting ways that you can put a lot of interesting monsters, encounters, puzzles. It's a backdrop for you to tell your story.
1: That's a good way of putting it
0: awesome well I think let's uh wrap it up bell's almost here if anyone wants to stay after for some extra credit I'll be talking about the history of of Dun- Dungeons and
1: Oubliettes. Of Labyrinths and Dragons
0: Labyrinths and Drakes coming to a let's bookstore near <laughs> you
1: <laughs> Labyrinths and Drakes first edition ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> gentlemen be on the lookout first edition implies there's going to be other peer <laughs> editions to come out afterwards <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay. we don't stop, all right? If it's good, oh, we okay. keep on making more.
0: No, not even. If it sells copies, we'll make more. It doesn't matter You're if right. it's if good. If it sells
1: more than five <laughs> copies, I'm making second edition.
0: Hell yeah. All right, be on the lookout for that. Uh, that'll be required reading for uh, next semester's classes. Go on, scram, get out of here. I hear the bell. Bye. Bye. <laughs>